0: Welcome back. Um, As they've said several times, I am Teresa Moyer. I am the associate pastor here, and I'm really excited about sharing with you what God has been sharing with me um, the past few weeks to prepare for this sermon. I want to say thank you to Michelle for her God story. How about that? It takes a lot of courage to come up here and share a personal story of what God has done in your life, and, and especially for someone who's quiet like Michelle. I mean, that, that was really courageous. Thank you for doing that. It makes me—I love these God stories because they make me see in everybody's lives how God is there in the big and the small. Right? These God stories don't have to be like, you know, my life trajectory completely turned. It could simply be I needed him and he was there. I needed him and he was there. And that's the point of this. So thank you, Michelle. Um, Michelle referenced a deep healing prayer time that she and I experienced together. And I want to talk a lot about that today. It's a little bit different than what we see in church and a little bit different than even what we have experienced in our small groups. Deep healing prayer is spacious prayer. Sometimes it takes hours. And it's designed so that we can listen to what God was leading Michelle to see, to understand, and to let go of. And Jesus' presence with her and my and my team's compassionate listening and responding to God, these tools have enabled her to move into a new season of freedom in her life. And she didn't tell you this, can I? about your mom. A couple weeks ago, she got to lead her mom to Jesus at 96 years old. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's worth clapping for. Because as my friend Mark Tindall and pastor of the Blue Root Vineyard Church says, you know, God just wants to move the stuff out of our lives that gets between us and him. That's the goal of these deep inner healing prayer times. That's the goal of everything we do here. That God's trying to move stuff out from between us and him so we can know his love and his freedom. Now some people have a hard time believing this. I, I was trying to explain this personal intimate connection that we can have with God with one of my friends, one of my family members, and she was like, you know what? He and I are good. We're good. Like, I know he died for me. I know he cares about me. He takes care of me. It's enough. He's got enough to deal with in all this stuff that he has to deal with in, you know, he's dealing with Ukraine and COVID. And it was sort of like this, this little cartoon, if I can get this to advance. Uh Wow. There you go. So if you take a look at this little cartoon, Heaven is Currently Unattended. If you wish to leave your prayers at the sound of the tone, they will be answered. You know, this, this is some of, some people have this idea about God, that he's sort of out there, so distant, and they don't really understand that Jesus is Emmanuel. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Either they don't think God really cares about their pain or they feel unworthy of God's love and attention for the nagging pain in their hearts. He died for my sins. That's enough. Somehow we come under the delusion that it's selfish to think that God would want to sit and take care of our pervasive emotional issues when he has so much more important stuff to do. My friends, this is a great, big, fat lie. As a matter of fact, there are actually two big lies here. If we're going to believe what Jesus told us, lie number one is that we are not that important to God. Except for maybe what we can do for him. Right? That's the first lie. But Jesus said the very hairs on our head are numbered. The very, And I will not make any hair jokes. I thought about it, but I won't. But this is how well God sees us, that the very hairs on our head are numbered. That's how much he treasures us. Lie number two is that God is limited in his ability and power. He's too busy with COVID and the Ukraine to worry about me. right? This says that God is limited. But the Bible teaches us that God is not only omnipresent. He's also omnipotent, which means he is all powerful. He wants to be with us. If we're walking with Jesus, we have this relationship with God where he's available to us every minute of every day. Why? Because his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We don't even have to call on him to come. He's already there. He's already there. One of the vineyard leaders said at one of the conferences I went to years ago, you know, it's funny how we say, come Holy Spirit. He's dwelling within us. We need to say, Lord, rise up and demonstrate your power to us. Right? You live inside of us. He wants to be near us and deal with the pain in our souls. The whole point of the Bible is not to teach us about God. It's to teach us who God is right? Who he is, what his character is like, what he sounds like, how he thinks about and acts towards his children. The Bible says we're God's beloved children, that he loves us so much that he sent his only son that no one would have to perish, to die an eternal death separated from God. Jesus came, so all of the punishment, all of the judgment, all the wrongdoing, wrath, anger, penalty, for our sin would be taken on himself. Now we can boldly and relationally come to God our Father without shame or fear, with reverence and thanksgiving. And expect him to have time to care for and, to, and have what it takes to help us. We can expect that of God. That is not God. He gave the best he had to gain us. We've been doing a sermon series called Soul Care, Renewing Jesus' Life Within. And we've been looking at, a, a, this is like week four or five in the, in the eight-week ser, um, series. We looked at caring for our souls, how spiritual disciplines can, and, and, a, and a tight community, a trusted community can really help us take care of our souls. We learned how to avoid spiritual burnout. We learned me- uh, lessons from motherhood. And we learned about the joy of being all in with Jesus with that baptism last week. What a celebration as five of our young people gave their lives to Jesus. And I have to apologize for my dramatic entrance, but if if you had no, Pete, Pete said, it was like the end of every romantic comedy movie in history, you know, and coming in with weeping and, and, you know. But if you had known what Steve and I had been through since 2 a.m. that morning to get there, you would have understood why it was so dramatic. And to be honest with you, as Jen Monahan shared last couple weeks ago on Mother's Day, I am one of those 20% of highly sensitive and emotional people. So this was very truthful for me. It was not over the top at all. So today, (laughs) we're going to delve deeper into our own hearts, and we're going to look at healing the heart and what God thinks about soul care through healing our inner hearts. It's not just the highly sensitive who are living in levels of emotional pain. We're just the ones who can't hide it very well. One of the strongest and most manly friends I have recently attended a men's retreat. And when he got back, he said, After that conference, I am convinced that everyone is in constant pain. Caring for our emotional pain is an important part of caring for our souls. And God cares the most. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you as we are because we need you, and we want to be restored to the person you see us to be, whole and free, without the hindrances that tighten us and keep us from connecting to you and others and receiving the fullness of your kingdom life. Will you come, Lord? Will you have your way here today? In Jesus' name, we thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. So if believing God doesn't have time or doesn't know us on an intimate level or doesn't care is a lie, what is the truth? Well, if we trust that the Bible is God's gift to us to show us who he is, we can trust what it says about him. These are some of the things that the Bible says about God. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. The Bible says God sees us and he knows us, searched us. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Because of Jesus, we can now see and know the Father God. Psalm 34 tells us the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It says God sees, cares, and does something about our pain. And this is one of my life verses. Psalm 40 Verse 2, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. It goes on to say he put a new song in my house, in my mouth, in my house. A hymn of praise to our God that many will see and look, be, be amazed and, and trust in God. It's a wonderful psalm to show us how he feels about us. God has the ability to pull us out of any pit we either get ourselves into, we trip into, or we get pushed into. Because that's how pain enters our lives. When I questioned God as to whether or not he really could relate to all of these childhood and middle life issues, he actually said this to me. Think about it. I'm the only one who was there when it happened. I'm the only one who can really understand And I was like, hmm, that is super helpful. Now, I have come through my many years on this planet to love the church of Jesus Christ in all her expressions around the world. And I have had the privilege to travel the world with a bunch of different Christian organizations and see the variety of the expressions of the church of Jesus. But I fell in love with the Vineyard because it was the first church where I encountered God's desire to heal the pain of my life on a regular basis. And being one of the highly sensitive and emotional people like Jen taught us, one of the 20% of humanity, there there were about 30 years of pent up pain that I didn't know God really cared about when I came to the Vineyard. At the Vineyard Church, a prayer ministry was available to me twice a week. It was like free everything. It was awesome at small groups and at the end of every church service. I didn't understand why more people were not running up there. It was free. What were you? I mean, counseling's a hundred and something bucks an hour. This was free. It was like the best offer on the planet. I got prayer every single week, most weeks twice a week, probably for over a year. No joke. There was so much pain to process, and I had never seen this kind of prayer. I mean, the Christians I knew would just pray for you, you know, bow your head, close your eyes. Oh, God, help Teresa feel better. That's called intercession. But this kind of prayer was more like God was running the time, you know? That, you know, I, I, the first time I got this kind of prayer, the pastor came up and prayed for me, and he says, your heart looks like a burned piece of coal. Now, he didn't know I'd just spent seven years in a sort of cult working for Jesus in this crazy controlling church. He didn't know. I was visiting his church for the first time. He's like, it looks like you, your heart has been so burned, and God wants to restore you. And then I learned that he calls that reading, God, God is reading our mail, you know, and, or giving us little giftlets, you know, from heaven to us. I was like, this is awesome, like, and it's free. Anyway, so I, I really enjoyed getting ministry with its prophetic clarity, wisdom, imagery, accuracy, and it wasn't weird. That was the best part about it. Nobody was strange. It was just direct and clear. It made me realize more than ever that God really is Emmanuel. He really is with us. And the most amazing thing about the vineyard was that this ministry was available through everyday people like us. No longer did anyone have to wait for the big man or woman of God to come to town like they did in the early 20th century, and they'd line up and just pray that somebody would have something from God for them and wait for hours. It didn't have to happen like that anymore. God is meeting people all, through all of his people, whomever is willing to listen and carry his healing to others. And this was what our founder, John Wimber, was so excited about. And you've heard this week after week after week, his little byline, everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play. For me, the healing ministry seemed like the primary purpose of church. It's all I knew. Go and get healed. So I joined the Vineyard in 1994, but over the past 20 or 30 years, God has been moving this amazing prayer ministry into the fabric of his universal church. Recently, the church as a whole is starting to understand the value of inner healing prayer. Famous Bible scholar and author N.T. Wright, in his book, Bringing the Church to the World, wrote, this. Recent times have seen a remarkable resurgence of a whole range of healing ministries. 20 years ago, I doubt if you had found a single book on, say, the healing of memories. Today, there's likely to be a whole section of these books bringing together insights and experiences from astonishingly wide range of people. Monks, psychiatrists, lay workers, orthodox and Roman Catholics, as well as Protestants and evangelicals. Why has this happened? He goes on to say, It's my belief that God has been equipping his church to deal with these problems. Across the denominations, ministries of listening, gentleness, counseling, prayer, gifts of healing are emerging, and many people are having their lives turned around. He says, I know firsthand of many who have been called to these ministries through whom God is powerfully at work, and I know of others who would gladly testify that they owe everything they are under God to such works of healing. I can happily testify that I owe everything I am under God to such works of healing in my life, and I know there are many in our church who could say the same thing. I praise God that he's present. He actually cares and he has power to do something about what we experience. Dr. Chris Miller at Lipscomb University said at a recent conference I attended, formation is happening. You are being changed. You're different than you were. And so much of that formation for me has happened through deep inner healing prayer sessions. So I mentioned I was just at a conference. I was down in Nashville. So many people asked me if I brought that hat home, but I don't think it would have fit on the plane. It was so big, but it was a fun hat. Um, I was attending a conference at Lipscomb University called Nurture, the Nurture Conference. There were about 150 to 200 people in the room and about 30 more online. Some of the people there had been doing deep inner healing prayer ministries, they call it other things, but they've been doing this ministry for nearly 30 years. But there were so many in that room who had never, ever heard of this, didn't know they could have this kind of relationship with God or that they themselves could experience God's presence and healing through prayer. And they certainly never even considered that they could be a part of ministering this healing to others. Some of the churches these folks belong to don't even believe God speaks to their people today, to his people, right? They just, it's a completely different mindset. They've been stuck in an observer, performer, consumer relationship with God and just treading water in their faith and sharing the gospel till they get to heaven. I think this is tragic. There's so many wounded people walking around on the earth. God's got stuff to do in us and they don't, know that it's available. God has come to make a family of people who look like Jesus, free, peaceful, full of love and mercy, compassion and forgiveness. We all get to be a part of that through the healing of the heart ministry of God, because God wants to heal our hearts. This conference introduced many people to what God has been bringing through the vineyard and other churches around the world for the past 30 years. As one of the presenters, Dr. Carl Lehman, the founder of the first modality that they taught on at this conference, he has a, a model called the Emmanuel Prayer. Dr. Lehman says, and he's a, psych, he's a psychiatrist, an MD who has studied brain chemistry and brain science in counseling, and he says these three things, God is always present with us. God always wants to connect with us, and the average person can establish a two-way interactive connection with God. Dr. Lehman said the real message he's heard the Lord say over and over sounds very similar to what Mark Tyndall said a few months ago, is the primary most important purpose of emotional healing is to remove the blockages that hinder your heart from coming to me. That is the main goal of emotional healing. And this is what we aim to do through our deep inner healing prayer ministry, which is about to be released into our community. Another person who presented that day was Jennifer Barrett Barnett, excuse me, Jennifer Barnett, um, and she presented a model called Freedom Prayer, which Andy Reese and she put together. And she put it this way. Um, When we enter an inner healing prayer, we're looking for these things. What's going on? What's God doing? We're looking for the fruit of what God wants to do in this time. What's the root of the problem? And we're going to root it out. Clear the problem and look for any demonic influence that might be around. Boot it out. Take back what was stolen from the enemy. Loot from the enemy's camp and make life choices and action steps. And she called this step scoot. So it was fruit, root, boot, loot, and scoot. A little bit bit campy, but it kind of sticks. We, God's average people, can learn how to bring one another his deep healing presence, learn to hear his voice, see him care for and heal our hearts, because he wants to heal our hearts. Two weeks ago, Rich shared an image. What is our soul? Right? And our soul is made up of all of these elements. But if you look carefully, the heart is at the center of our soul. Who we are, what we think, what our habits are, what we say. These are all expressions of our inner being, our hearts. The mind reflects what the heart feels. Our actions in life are connected to what the heart feels. What our emotions are saying to us dictate what we do. Very often, healing the heart can heal the rest of the soul. And God has come to heal and restore every part of our lives. And he uses us to do it for each other. Broken, imperfect, but sincere people to minister his love and presence to one another so we can come as we are and be restored. That's the whole point of why Hawk and Vineyard Church is here. That's our byline. Come as we are and be restored. So we can all come as we are knowing that God's always with us. He always wants to connect with us. He can, we can have a two-way interactive connection with God so that we can be restored because God wants to heal our hearts. That means our life experiences, our pain, our anger, our traumas, our disappointments, our abuses, our loneliness, our shame, our fear, our damage from sin, our sin and the sin of others. You name it, if it hurts, God wants to heal it. This might be a hard message for some of you to hear. This may be shifting your entire paradigm of who God is. I want to ask you to try and rest just try and relax and don't be afraid because he loves us just rest and let him do what he has for you in this moment he's gentle he's gentle all he needs is our willingness but as we learned a few weeks ago from my talk about spiritual burnout sometimes we need others to bring us to Jesus Or help us enter a space where it's quiet enough for us to perceive Jesus' presence with us. Just hold the space with each other. And when he is there, somehow he makes everything okay. It doesn't change what happened to us, but his presence changes our perspectives of what happened. And that can change everything. So what's a healing prayer session look like in our church? Well, we invite the presence of the living Jesus to come and guide the time. It's his time to do what he has planned for that person in that time. We do our best to facilitate an attachment between the living presence of Jesus and the person receiving prayer, helping the person open their relational circuitry in their right brains so they can really connect to God. The more I read and the more I listen to speakers teach on the healing ministry, the more I come to see that the best successes in my own prayer times and in theirs are when Jesus himself is present to the person receiving prayer, and he guides the session. That's the whole point of Emmanuel prayer that I mentioned with Dr. Carl Lehman. And Jim, Wild's, Jim Wilder's uh, life model works. So these are the three presenters that I saw at the conference. It's amazing about this. Three separate speakers, they all said the same thing. They all said the same thing. Different approaches, but the same thing. And the best part about this, friends, is that I didn't learn anything new. How affirming is that? We've been practicing these things in our church. I mean, I learned a few new things, like Fruit Loop, Boop, or, you know, that. But I was so blessed to realize that we're already operating in this here. And that God is just going to help us get clear. So we work to have God's Emmanuel presence and our attachment to him because it brings us healing for what he wants to do in that moment. We also listen for anything the person is sharing that exalts itself over the truth of Jesus, right? So if somebody's believing a lie, we try to help them see, Are you realize this is what you see? This is how you see things? Are you, are you interested in staying in that? Or are you interested in maybe moving to something else? We compassionately and patiently draw the listener's attention to whatever lies they might be believing, whatever bitterness, unforgiveness, unresolved anger might be present because that's a stumbling block to keep us from God and his healing presence. And then we request or ask if they're willing or ready to use one of the tools that God has given us. And what do those tools look like? Well, sometimes we need to repent. I had to repent for the way I saw the Father in one of my sessions. Because I saw him as scary and mean. Because that was my childhood view of God. And the man who was praying for me said, would you like to repent that to the Lord? And I was like, yes, I think I would. I'm ready to let go of that image of God. Sometimes we need to renounce a lie we've been living in or walking in. Sometimes we're ready, when we're ready, to forgive someone who's offended us and God never forces you. When you're ready and you're ready to let go of that pain, We we take that step to forgive the person, like Michelle did with her mom. And then her mom did, you know, sought forgiveness for Michelle. It's a beautiful pattern. We walk in the authority of Jesus, and God blesses the next steps, each step we're taking. The most important thing is that Jesus runs the session. No one's ever coerced or guilted. The person receiving prayer is carried very carefully and gently to the Father who loves them so they can be restored and they can find freedom. Here's the bottom line, folks. God is good. Satan is bad. God is good. Satan is bad. If you go home with nothing else today, go home with that. God is good. Satan is bad. God will transform bad situations, but he is not the author of evil that has happened to us. Jesus said that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, and that God brings life. Too often, God gets blamed for the stuff the enemy does in our lives. That's a tactic of the enemy. Sometimes we can detect that there are enemy spirits present in a a session, and um, they may have attached themselves to a situation or a belief system because we unwittingly have given them a foothold for, for occupation. We learn to renounce our attachments to the spirits or the mindsets, break those attachments, and command by the authority that Jesus gave us for those demons to leave that person who's beloved of God. And when we pray like this, it's called deliverance. Now, we don't hear a lot about deliverance in the church, but even in the vineyard, it's somehow thought about like some horror movie, right? Like heads are going to spin, and you know, green stuff's going to come flying out of our eyes. But Jesus practiced deliverance all the time. If you look at the scriptures, he knew his authority over the evil on this planet, and he walked in it, and he broke the power of it. And he's invited and empowered us to do the same thing, to learn to recognize the enemy using Jesus' authority and remove them from God's territory, which is us. Listen to what Jesus had to say about this. In, the, in Luke 4, he picks up the scroll in the synagogue, which, by the way, is liturgically timed, right? That's scheduled. He was called up to read on the day this was scheduled to be read, right? He didn't go, mm, let me see if I can find Isaiah 61 real quick, you know. He read this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's what he spent his ministry doing. And then at the end, a little bit later, he says, I have given you authority, his disciples and all who would follow his disciples and him, for the rest of eternity. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. Essentially, deliverance is setting the oppressed free. And who or what oppresses people? Evil. Evil. Yes, sometimes we see oppression coming through a certain person or through a group or a system. True. Absolutely. But Paul tells us in our battle against evil, our struggle isn't really with people at all. For our struggle, he says to the the church in Ephesus, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Jesus went about delivering people from the influence, oppression, and possession of evil. He cast seven spirits out of Mary Magdalene, and everybody goes, wow, seven spirits, He cast a legion of spirits out of the guy on the rocks. And I have to tell you, seven spirits is really not that many. If I started counting up all the things that have been cast out of me in the past 30 years, I have way more than seven. Spirits I had to reject, renounce, break my attachment with. I'll tell you, it's really freeing, and my head never once spit around. I didn't throw up, although I know some people do sometimes, but, you know, it's it's not like a scary movie. It's like freedom and the oppression and the harassment in my head has stopped my mind has become quieter and calmer and i am so grateful people often ask me can can demons possess christians can demons possess people well clearly demons can possess people we see it in scripture and we probably see it out on the streets a lot people who are oppressed or possessed. But those who've been washed in the blood have been cleansed of that possibility. If you're walking with Jesus as your savior, you cannot be possessed by demons. But demons can harass, they can oppress, and they can even attach themselves to Christians anywhere we've invited them or let them. You want a good book on how demons work? Read Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. One of the best books I've ever read, and and it's so interesting reading. It's so great. But when we have given the enemy a foothold, the enemy can attach himself to us because we've let him. We've invited him. What is a foothold? The dictionary says it's a place where a person's foot can be lodged to support them securely, especially while climbing. You think the enemy wants to climb all over us? Absolutely he does. We give him a little foothold, he gets a toe in, and he's got a little bit of access to us. The Amplified Version of the Bible puts it this way. I love this. Do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge, nurturing anger, harboring resentment, or cultivating bitterness. This makes it clearer how we can let a demon attach us to harass us. We give them a place to stand, a secure position from which further progress can be made. Grudges, bitterness, unforgiveness, unresolved anger, fear, worry, sexual sin, you name it. Any thought pattern that's contrary to God's truth. In other words, any words, any lies we believe can give a foothold to the devil. Any unresolved sin that hasn't been given over to God can give a foothold for spiritual oppression and possible attachment. Even sin that's been performed against us violation can give the enemy a foothold in our lives. And Jesus has given us the tools and the authority to break these attachments and be rid of harassment for good, and his presence is what makes it all possible. Paul tells us how we can be prepared and vigilantly fight against the enemy's method. These might be familiar to some of you. Put on the full armor of God so you can take up your stand against the devil's schemes. The Greek word for schemes is methodia. What does that remind you of? his methods. You know, be aware of the devil's methods. So the armor with which we fight against evil looks like this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay. I'm going to ask you guys to do something. This is not my script. Just stretch. Just stretch. There's a lot coming at you right now. Just stretch it up. Beautiful. Just shake it off. We're almost done. We're almost done. Okay. So when we release, when we realize we've given the devil a foothold, We can easily destroy that foothold. God gave us the tools, and they're not heavy to wield. This could be a whole sermon series in itself, but I'm going to just briefly go through each of these pieces of armor. It says to gird ourselves with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. It's essentially that we think of of, of truth as our core. Any Pilates people in here? You know? No? Come on, CrossFit people. Where are you? Okay, good. So that the core of us is truth. Essentially, we think of this as our core strength, and the truth is what keeps us grounded and stable so lies can't take hold. We wear these shoes that are made of the peace of the gospel. We walk in peace, bringing God's peace to ourselves and others. We have this shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows. Remember, God is good. Satan is bad. Lies we believe are contrary to God's promises and God's grace. And if we let them enter us, we can get a crack in in our armor and the enemy's arrows can land and stick and they land in us. Simple example, God has promised to provide for our needs, right? Yet we spend hours each night worrying about money. This worry can become a crack in our shield of faith, where a fiery dart can land and stick and get a foothold. Seemingly simple things can give the enemy a place to stand and gain further progress in his goal, which is to separate us from the love and power of God. And lastly, we have our heads and minds covered with the salvation of Jesus. It all starts in our minds. The enemy has only one weapon. One. Does anybody know what it is? Lies, deception, smoke screens, anything to keep us from God. And Paul tells us that we demolish arguments and every go back, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's where the truth lies. But you know what else the word of God is? Jesus. John told us that Jesus was the word of God. It's not just whatever Bible scriptures we know. Jesus is the word. He is the sword of the spirit. And we defeat the enemy through Jesus's presence and power. His authority is given to us. And if it seems like it's more than we can do on our own, Jesus has given us a community to care for our souls Because God wants to heal our hearts. As I finish up here, I just want to remind us all that we really need each other to come to God and get healed. And we need to be gracious with one another because we're not perfect people and we mess up. It's too easy to think, I'm never going to that person because they hurt me. Well, guess what? We're not perfect. We need each other and the forgiveness and the mercy. The enemy knows that we need each other and he'll do anything to keep us from each other and from God because we are his body. Our power comes from Jesus. He's the head, but we're his body. We are what God uses on the earth. We need each other to be victorious over the assaults of the enemy. So this new prayer ministry, and I'll finish with this today, that's going to be launched soon. We call it Deep Inner Healing Prayer, DIP. Come and take a DIP. It's going to be scheduled. We're going to have a process here. We're We're going to schedule most of these times through your small group leaders. So if someone in your small group really needs deeper healing prayer, and there's a reason for this. One, we have three levels of prayer offered. Every week, we pray here together. And it's free. Every week in your small groups, we spend time praying for one another, inviting the Lord in, and it's free. But if there are deep things that there just isn't enough space and time to get into, some of these sessions can take two and a half, three hours. And you can't take your entire small group with one person. That's when we're going to ask the small group leaders to uh, refer People to our team and we'll get them scheduled and of course there's always extenuating circumstances we are here to work with each other not you know against each other so we'll work it out together but if you're interested talk to your small group leader and if you're not connected to a small group yet I highly recommend that you consider that because it is where the life of the church happens okay I'm going to do a little meditational scripture as we finish and I'm going to ask you during this time of quiet to ask God, what is Jesus inviting you into? Maybe getting prayer today for the first time. Maybe choosing to attach to a small group to make more connection to the body of Christ. Maybe you feel a pull to become part of this healing team. Exponentially, we want to grow this ministry. We don't want just six or seven people praying. We want to have a church full of people that can pray for each other and for the world. It's a great place to see God at work. So I'm going to put this scripture up. This is an encouragement from Paul that we pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. And that is why we do the kind of prayer ministry we do. Because God wants to heal our hearts. We take just a minute of silence let the Holy Spirit come. Just relax, rest your eyes. Father, we ask you to come now and have your way. You are our King. You are our authority over the darkness on this planet. You empower us to do your will and to live in the freedom and peace and joy and love and kindness. And patience, and long-suffering of Jesus so that we can look like Jesus for the world, for one another, for everyone we love. Have your way now, Lord. We give you some space and some time.